Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast with Blue Ribbon's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. Always great to have you with us as we bear down on the start of the college basketball season. It is not that far down the road, only a couple weeks away with the opening night coming up on November 7th. On our show today, we're going to have Seth Greenberg with us, a friend of the show, an ESPN analyst, a guy who's uh, taken a successful coaching career and turned it into an even more successful broadcasting career. So looking forward to visiting with Seth in just a little bit. Mr. Dorch, how are you? And uh, if you would, Maybe a little update on uh, how things are going with the Blue Ribbon Yearbook, which uh, I know uh, a lot of folks have in their hands these days and uh, getting ready for the season with a lot of good reading. Um, I'm well, sir. Thank you. And uh, luckily, we were able to get our our digital version out uh, September 9th. We're still waiting on our printed version. Uh, There's uh, a paper shortage, uh, and it's delayed the printed book. Uh, a little bit still waiting to find out the exact date on that but we're ready on our end as soon as the books show they're going to fly out of here so uh we've got an army ready to help and and uh i, th- I think everything's going to be okay and we won't be that late but uh you know usually by this time we've got them mailed out and uh we're the only other printed preseason publication out there uh, all the rest, at least for this year, have gone by the wayside. So I'm going to fight tooth and nail, man. Oh, uh, you know, there's been 42 <laughs> editions. We'd have stopped at 13 if, if it hadn't have been for me getting involved. Uh, at that point, Chris Wallace had joined the NBA, was working for Pat Riley down in Miami. And uh, it, it probably was not going to go past edition uh, uh, 13. And I've taken it another 29 years. I got I'm going for more. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you got to keep that thing going. Uh, That's right. Yeah, Professor Dorch always has the, uh, the blue ribbon ready to go. And if you if you need me to come down and, and, and help pack blue ribbon copies to send out places, man, you just put out the bat signal and I'll be on my way to Chattanooga. You may be sorry you said that, my man. <laughs> uh, let's talk about a couple of teams that are ranked in your uh, blue ribbon top 10 yeah. going into this season in the preseason. Gonzaga feels like they are a frequent visitor there. I saw your stat. Uh, they have been ranked number one in 40 of the last 56 AP polls. I thought that was a remarkable number. Drew Timmy is back. They did lose Chad Holmgren and Andrew Nemhart. Had plenty back, including some some really talented transfers. I know a guy you're familiar with from Chattanooga, Malachi Smith. Uh, Julian Strother has been a part of their program. Rasir Bolton came over from Iowa State. Afton Reed, we've seen him play for LSU. So it looks like Mark Fuse reloaded in a pretty good way. And if you have a guy like Drew Timmy coming back, uh, that, that's something to build around right there. Yeah, I, I thought a, a lot of national pundits, as soon as Drew Timmy made his decision to come back, they just immediately installed Gonzaga as number one. We did not. They're number two on our top ten behind North Carolina. But I still think it's a formidable team. And uh, I saw a tweet this morning by Seth Davis. He he picked the top three coaching jobs done since he's been in it. And, you know, he's probably been in it 25 or 30 years. Uh, I was surprised to see Mark Few was not among them. Uh, I say that because although Mark Few inherited a program that was on the rise, he is certainly in, in a situation that you would think could not possibly be able to do battle with power conference teams. He's certainly done that. Uh, every year he's been a coach, which let, let's see now. I'll check the Blue Ribbon story. He's been there 23 years. They've been in the NCAA tournament all 23 years, and they've been in two title games. Uh, 
Um, and he continues to get great players. He's starting to get more five-star recruits. And he plays uh, – his his team plays in a league that, by all accounts, is, is a mid-major. It's I think it's transcended that with St. Mary's and BYU. But still, I, I think he's turned in one of the great all-time coaching jobs. Again, looking at my handy reference point, uh, Blue Ribbon, 658 and 129 in 23 years. So uh, you definitely, in, in my mind, uh, he's one of the, he's turned in one of the best coaching jobs in my time covering college basketball. And I think they'll continue. It'll be interesting to see what they do with Malachi Smith. Like you said, I did get to see a lot of him because he played at Chattanooga. He's no Andrew Nembhard. So if anybody thinks that he is going to step in and, and play that position, the point like uh, Andrew did, I don't think that's going to happen. But what he brings is good positional size. He's a good three-shooter. He can put it on the floor. He is a good passer. He's durable. He played 35 minutes a game last year for a team that won league and conference tournament title. Um, he shoots a high percentage from two. I think he's a really nice player, and I think he'll fit in that system really well. I think really the key returnee for me, other than obviously Timmy's an All-American, but Rasir Bolton, and that guy can really shoot it. And when he decided to come back, and I think he's like an eighth-year senior. I'm, I'm not <laughs> sure what he is, but he's been around the block, uh, Penn State and, and uh, Iowa uh, State before this. I think he's a great young man. He does a lot for charities in the area up there. But he's he's, he's a tremendous three-point shooter. Last year, he shot 46% behind the arc. That is off the hook. They've been just a remarkable program, and you're absolutely right about Mark Few. The, the coaching job he done, he's done at, at a you know a place that before about 1999 they they had success you know in, in spurts here yeah. and there, but but not the sustained national prominence that they've had over the last 20 plus years. It's been remarkable to see what that program has become as a national power. Talk about Tennessee for a moment. They went 27 and eight last season, 14 and four in the SEC, and tied for second. And they won the SEC tournament for the first time since 1979. I know Rick Barnes's postseason resume at Tennessee isn't what fans would like for it to be, but they've averaged 21 wins since he's been there and have gone to the tournament four straight times. Uh, they returned four starters. They did lose Kennedy Chandler and also Brandon Huntley Hatfield, but and, and Victor Bailey and John Fulkerson as well. But they return Zakai Ziegler, Santiago Vescovi, uh, Josiah Jordan-James, and also going to have Olivier Kamwa back from injury. And I, I thought him getting hurt last year in that game against South Carolina was a big loss for them. Uh, they ended up having success uh, e even after he got hurt. But um, he, he was a really a, a key part for them, I thought. But they look like they're, they're pretty well loaded, especially at those guard positions to have another good year. I've been down there to watch them practice. Um, obviously, because of proximity, I, I can get down there easy enough and uh, they didn't have Kamwa, who was playing for his national team. They didn't have Vescovi, uh, who was also, I think, involved in international play. And Josiah Jordan-James was out. He had had an, another surgery, I think, to, to repair uh, some damage in his wrist. But I'll tell you what, they were impressive. I, I really I, – I can't say enough about last – summer when they had Kennedy Chandler coming in and then it was announced that they signed Zakai Ziegler, a five, nine uh, point guard who had zero scholarship offers. 
I wondered about it at first, and then I thought, no, Rick, Rick, no, Rick Barnes <laughs> knows his point guard. So if they took this kid after seeing him in the Peach Jam or wherever it was, uh, he must be special. And sure enough, he's a typical New York City point guard. Everybody connotes that with toughness and savviness. He definitely brings that courageous kid. Uh, he can shoot shoot the basketball, and he's just quick on quick. So I think he'll replace Kennedy Chandler fairly handily. Last year, Vescovy became just the second player in Tennessee history to make 100 or more three-pointers in a season. Chris Lofton had done it three times before. I think Josiah Jordan James is the best glue guy in college basketball, a great kid. And now that he doesn't have that tendon problem in his shooting hand, I think he'll be a guy that can shoot, you know, high thirties from three. And if he does that, he'll be a tough cover. And Conwell, like you said, is back and he's become a guy that can shoot it from three. So I think conceivably they can start a lineup that's no taller than him at six, eight. And the freshman Julian Phillips at, at six eight, and uh, really run and 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 hassle people defensively, and and not really worry about being undersized. The other thing I'll say about Tennessee, this kid Tyreek Key, the transfer from Indiana State, is legit. He broke Tony Delk's uh, Tennessee high school scoring record. He scored over three thousand points at Salina uh, High School. I I added it up. In his four years in, in in high school and four in Indiana State, he has almost 5,000 points. <laughs> uh, so, And I've seen him. He's undersized at 6'2", but he's strong. He can get to the rim. He can make threes. He's got an old man's game, and I say that in the best possible way. He can post. Uh, you know, he, he's got a little jump hooks and stuff and stop and pop, fadeaways. He's a drought breaker, I think. And last year, Tennessee, one of Tennessee's problems was that they could go five or six agonizing minutes without scoring. And now Rick Barnes can throw this kid in there and, and he'll go get you some points. So he's going to be an asset too. One other note from the SEC, uh, Kentucky's John Calipari says Oscar Sheebways on everybody's preseason All-America teams. Uh, we'll have mi- a minor knee procedure to clean things up. Uh, Calipari said Sheebway had a good performance at their pro day. Uh, came back to develop his game to become a more complete player, and he feels like he's accomplished that. We're going to clean up his knee a little bit, and I know they're hoping to have him back as soon as possible. And I'll also mention Memphis. Uh, they finalized a contract extension with Coach Penny Hardaway going into his fifth season at his alma mater, 84-43. and 43. And uh, one reason I'm noting this is because we will see Memphis here in Nashville at Vanderbilt on November 7th on that Monday night on opening night. It's going to be uh, one of the best games around the country, I think. Uh, one of the best matchups anyway uh, nationally. So looking forward to seeing uh, Vanderbilt and Memphis face off to open up the season. Hardaway did not get any sanctions from the NCAA from its investigation. Uh, All that came down a couple weeks ago. Memphis did get three years probation. They got a public reprimand and a a fine to go with it, but uh, contract extension for Penny Hardaway. Chris, uh, a couple things involving the bigger picture of college basketball and college athletics. Uh, The conference commissioner has been discussing ideas for changing the postseason for the NCAA tournaments with a plan for up to 25% of teams in, in each sport to be included. And for college basketball, that could mean around 90 of the 363 basketball teams making the NCAA tournament. We've, we've talked about expansion and, and the good and the bad of it. I think you and I are probably on the same page that 
68 is just fine and, and, and leave it like it is. And I think a lot of basketball fans, if they're really honest, probably feel that way too. But um, 90 teams sounds like a lot, but uh, this may be coming in the future years. Yeah, I think we've talked about it extensively after our summer break and, and the last three podcasts we've we've done uh, with Matt Norlander and Joe Lenardi. And Joe thinks that if, if anything happens, it would be expansion. Matt's not so sure in a, in a poll of 100 coaches, he and Gary Parrish took 97, said not to mess with it. I pulled a quote from another story that Matt wrote. It was pretty telling. It came from a league commissioner. He said, the NCAA basketball tournament is absolutely critical to college athletics. One of the most unique sporting events in the world. Its value to the enterprise of college athletics in general is critical. The structure we have right now, it works. It's a winner. People love it. And I would hope we would not overly tinker. Hmm. And that sums up my uh, opinion nicely. Yeah, I think I would sign off on that one, too. That that sounds about right for me. Uh, another interesting thing. The Men's Basketball Oversight Committee is discussing having teams play made-for-TV exhibition games during the summertime. Uh, and some of this is about increasing exposure for college basketball and keeping it a little more top of mind uh, during the, the very long offseason. It feels like college basketball has a, a marathon of an offseason. <laughs> Maybe play two or three games, and some of this is a chance for everybody to make some money, you know, including the NIL stuff. But um, that, that might be a fun idea to have a, have a couple exhibition games during the summertime for these teams. You know, I liken it to a spring game for football. Mm -hmm. uh, you're right that basketball sort of toils in obscurity during the summer. It used to be worse before the NCAA finally allowed teams and coaches to practice in the summer. That is so beneficial to the sport and I think to the improvement of the student-athletes. I, I would like to see it. I, I always put everything in, under the prism of blue ribbon, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, what if a kid gets hurt <laughs> and, you know, how are we going to we've written this story. We're going to have to go back and rewrite and stuff. But I think it would be good. I think maybe maybe one game uh, sort of like I said, the equivalent of a spring football game. And and just to give that exposure and uh, the article that I read discussed NIL opportunities, too. So that's always front of mind now that players can be paid for certain things, appearances and and uh, obviously uh, likeness and that sort of thing. So it would be an opportunity for that too. But yeah, I, I think it is a, it is a long, a long off season. And I, for one, uh, uh, never tire of college hoops. So give me some more games. I'll watch them. Chris, this week's guest is a guy who's uh, been a regular on our show over the years. We always appreciate him uh, carving out a few minutes for us. And uh, he is making the rounds, watching as many teams as possible, getting ready for the season. ESPN analyst Seth Greenberg. What's going on? Life is good. It's been a good week. You know, I've sort of got a chance to see a lot of good practices. Got a chance to kind of Virginia Tech, North Carolina, NC State, NC Duke. You want to have some context. You you know, and, and the best context you can have is seeing people firsthand and getting a feel for their identity, their culture, uh, the young players, uh, and, you know, kind of uh, the spirit of their teams. Coach, I, I follow you on Twitter, and, and, and I've, I must admit to having a certain degree of envy uh, seeing where you've been uh, and, and just being able to watch practice. I, like you, I, I derive so much from being able to watch practice. It's, it's how I spent – 
you know, the first three quarters of my career at practice every day. Uh, what have you seen in your travels that, have, that has stood out to you among the teams you've watched so far? You know, I think that, look, this time of year, if you have a bad practice, you've got a problem. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, there's incredible enthusiasm and energy and optimism uh, throughout college basketball uh, right now. I think the biggest thing is, you know, my, my big observation, and this is interesting, is uh, let's forget about a team now, just in theory. Transfer portals, obviously everyone's talking about it. These guys transfer, a lot of times their role changes. Yeah. And those guys that were leading scorers of another team, uh, volume shooters, now might have to embrace a different role. And if they don't embrace that role, then you know what? There's going to be a problem. Or a lot of these guys are going from losing programs to winning programs. So basically doing all the little things, having to defend, not taking plays off, making the extra pass, uh, being someone other people can count on uh, on both sides of the floor, not having uh, being self-absorbed. Uh, it, it's really interesting. I mean, I think transfer pros can have a great impact. Football it's had an impact, obviously, already, but you know, I think we sometimes over uh, evaluate or uh, give too much credit for these guys because there is a big transition. There's a big transition of embracing a new role. And if you don't embrace a champion in that role and you're even though you had a great career at the school you were at before, uh, it's different. Being a winning player is the difference between playing to play. Uh, competing every play is a difference between, well, you know, they need me offensively so I can take some plays off defensively. Mm -hmm. Well, you're trying to get to the NCAA tournament or advance the NCAA tournament, and, you know, you're a good player, and you don't close out or you're late on a seal down, and all of a sudden the other te your team's best player picks up their fourth foul. That's a problem. So I think that's one observation. Uh, I think the second observation is, you know, and we, we saw it last year, the, the, the way people are playing, more five out, more four out, more spread ball screen, more flow, um, more threes, uh, more at least early in the season saying, you know, everyone's going to handle the ball. Now, once the ball gets start getting kicked all over the place, that'll change. And it is getting kicked all over the place right now. But, you know, it's early. And the last thing would be that coaches have so much access to their players, so much access to their players in the summer. Like I watched Virginia Tech. Uh, they were, they looked not that they executed that way, but they had everything in or a good portion of things in, they have their defensive principles in. they have their flow in. they've got some of their sets in, uh, there's so much being accomplished in the summer, uh, that teams are so far ahead of you. Like, think about this, Chris, you, you, you grew up in this environment now. It's not October 15th yet. Yeah. You know what I mean? These guys have been at it for 10 to like uh, I, the other day, it was the 10th practice. One of the schools that I was at in North Carolina was the 7th, the 9th or 10th practice. And they're playing, man. They're playing and uh, more up and down. Uh, so it, it's been interesting to watch. In your career, uh, and maybe at the tail end, you were able to work in the summer, but in the early in your head coaching career, you were not. And it always used to, some of the craziest quotes I'd get from coaches, well, the kids say he looked awful good in pickup games which was silly for two reasons. One, you know he was watching the pickup games. And two, it was silly that the NCAA did not allow summertime practice. In your view, uh, and I don't see how, I mean, some of them get six to eight weeks in uh, before the kids go home in August. Yeah. How has that improved the quality of the game in your mind? 
Well, I think it's, it's improved the chemistry of teams. It's improved player development. It's improved concept education. I never had it. I've been, people forget now, this is my 11th year on TV, which is uh, some of these wow. young kids, they don't remember me as a coach. You know? <laughs> I mean, uh, so, uh, but, but sure, it's, it's really valuable. But the chemistry, you know, immersing your freshmen into the program, immersing your transfers into the program, developing a better understanding of who they are, spending time with them. Uh, I'm a big believer, and I know uh, they did an article on it the other day. I, I, in the middle of the summer, I said the same thing. I 100% agree with Cal. Keep the eight weeks. Not changing the eight weeks. Anytime during those eight weeks, I would do it probably week seven or week eight. Uh, you can play two games over a weekend. And uh, we've got to make our sport a 12-month sport. We've got, to, we've got to bring greater attention to our sport. So what happened with the TBT, it's been great. Summer League has obviously been a big hit. Uh, there are more people pulling and taking shots at college basketball. I mean, that's just the way it is. Uh, the NBA is probably going to eventually do an NBA academy in, in the United States. Uh, we've got to protect our brand. We've got to protect the value of college basketball. We've got to sell the value of college basketball. Uh, we've got to sell the value of being on, cam- uh, you know, on a college campus, growing and maturing and developing, not having to be, you know, an adult all that quickly. Uh, getting closer to your college, and, and the other thing is, like, we we do all this stuff, and uh, remember the percentage of guys that make a living playing basketball. What about the rest of those guys? So we've got to re-emphasize the value of the college experience. Look, NIL is here. It's not NIL. It's pay for play. We all know that. We can call it whatever we want. Now, Oscar Shibway has an NIL. He can sell anything. You know, I'm sure that Armando Baycott has NIL. There are some that, that actually have legitimate NIL. But really, what's going on right now, it, it, this is pay for play, for play. And I think what we're going to have, Chris, eventually is we're going to have contracts that will control the transfer, transfer portal. That'll give some stability to our enterprise. And that'll enable us maybe to compete with all these other entities that are trying to take shots at, at college basketball yet. 21,000 people at the Dean Dome or 21,000 people at Kentucky or 21,000 people at Tennessee or sold out, you know, uh, Finn at, at, at Villanova. Uh, the last time I checked all these other entities that are trying to do what they're doing, uh, the stage isn't the same. Yeah. The experience isn't the same. Uh, the memory will not be the same. And we forget about that, uh, you know, you know, you want to have a lifetime memory. You want to have a shared experience. You want to, you know, like I, it's almost like not skipping steps. If you're one and done, go, boom. But how many of these guys we think are one and done and, and they're, they're going to struggle for their freshman year being good college players? Our guest is Seth Greenberg, a ESPN analyst. Uh, the early part of this season to me seems like it's almost going to be more about or maybe as much about who's not there with the retirements of Coach K and Jay Wright. Neither job is easy when you talk about what John Shire and Kyle Neptune face, but is, is continuing that success almost harder at, at Villanova uh, than, than maybe at Duke? Where it's, I mean, certainly not easy there, but uh, what, what about the job for those two that's ahead? Uh, for both of them, I think it's maintaining the culture and the identity and the core beliefs and the non-negotiables. Uh, it's going to be different. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, Villanova, the brand, if you think about the brand of Villanova, it's synonymous with Jay Wright. Kyle Neptune is, a, you know, is protege of Jay Wright, and they, they kept their staff together. Which I think it was really, really important. So for continuity, uh, but yeah, I think this, this, I wouldn't say it's going to be more difficult. Uh, you know, I think that Villanova's brand is pretty strong. Uh, they've got that northeastern corner where they've done really well in. I think that Kevin Willard will make it a little harder to go into DC, and uh, you know, and just get those guys out. They've done such a great job, Villanova. Uh, 
in, in that area up the corridor going, you know, in the Maryland area. But I don't think they're going to go anywhere. But I think, you know, look, both coaches, they're going to be roadblocks and detours. They're going to be bumps in a the row. There's going to be adversity. And when I hit adversity, you know what? Everyone's going to point to, well, you know, how would Kay handle it or how would Jay handle it? Yeah. And, you know, both of these guys are going to handle it in their own way. They, you know, obviously, there'll be a little bit of reflection of the people they work with. But I think they're both good leaders. And uh, I'm excited to watch Duke practice today. Uh, I think it's hard to win. People take it for granted. It is hard to win. It's hard to win. It's hard to maintain a program. Uh, you know, it's it's not like Duke didn't have hiccups a couple of years ago in the COVID year. They had a hiccup. I mean, you know, that's going to happen. You're not going to hit it out of the park every single year. Now, these guys don't hit it out of the park in a particular year until they establish their own persona and identity. Uh, you know, there'll be naysayers. I think both programs are in, uh, are in good hands. But, you know, they're, you know, it's different. Like, here's a simple question. I asked John Shire at Media Day yesterday. You gonna stand up or sit down? How are you gonna deal with you? How are you gonna deal with your staff during your during thing? How are you gonna deal with post post game press conferences? Uh, you know, if you have to get unofficial, you're gonna do it by you know with hand over mouth. You're gonna be more demonstrative. Uh, you know, like people think that that's, but those are, those are real things that you know you've got to get comfortable leading from the front in a game, pre game talk, halftime. You didn't play well in the first half. How, how hard do you push it? All those things are learned. I mean, you can't just say, well, I'm going to do Well, each situation is a little bit different. You know, you're a team, and the DNA of your team, are they a fragile team? Do they need to, when they're down a little bit, do they need to be propped up, or do they need to be challenged? Who are your leaders? Who's coach for lock? And then the big thing is their actual day. Managing their day, all right? When you're an assistant coach, you're dealing with player development. You're dealing with recruiting. You know, you're dealing with maybe some interview meetings. A number of people are pulling at you as a head coach during the course of the day before you walk into that practice. And a number of things that come across your desk during the course of the day before you walk into that practice, people just don't understand. And then when practice is over, the number of things that happen while you were in practice, whether it's a kid has a bad practice, whether it's, a parent has, has concern, whether there's an academic issue. And then you got to go home to your family. Like, you know, John Charles has got a young family. I mean, how do you stay present there in dealing with everyone else's children and, and the static that goes around being the head coach at Duke? So there's a learning curve. It's just, and they, they're going to have to live it and feel it. All right, one more for you. And I was trying to think back to your coaching days. You're talking about the talking to officials. Were you more of a hand-over-the-mouth guy or, or more demonstrative? I, I seem to remember you being a little more demonstrative, but, but what was the ratio there? Yeah, you know, I, I would have out-of-body experiences. And, 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 and I knew, but I, I got really good uh, at as I went along, knowing exactly how far I could go. And then the official would come over me, and then I'd cover my mouth like this, and I'd go, like I'll, I'll use say Mike Eads as an example. Mike, you know you love me. <laughs> and he'd look at me like, dude, you're you're insane. I said, all right, just try to get it right next time, will you please? And then he'd laugh and he'd move on. So yeah, I mean, there are times that, you know, look, you know, you're gonna be fired up or you're gonna challenge a call, but you, you can't make a living doing that. And uh, you know, I was more of get out of the frustration, smack the corner of the scores table, you know, like, you know. Some, my, my athletic director, Virginia Tech, didn't like that. Uh, yet, you know, like football coaches can throw visors, but 
you know, mm-hmm. you know, they don't have a, they don't have a, they don't, they don't have a corner of a, a scores mm-hmm. table to hit. A football coach can <laughs> throw his headset, throw a visor, yeah. or, you know, and that's fine. It's not good for the the radio crew if they're sitting right next to the bench either. I can tell you that from experience. Yeah, that yeah, that, that that's a little issue. But uh, <laughs> sometimes I would like I pull back a little bit. But yeah, I mean, like you also want to know what what your team is going to respond to. Sure. Like, yep. they, they, there's certain times you, you you get after the officials, like you know, like I got thrown out my first game at Duke for a reason. I wanted to know my players that I was behind them. Yeah. All right, and I was I was actually beside them. I was in it with them. I was you know, and that you know. I was, I had their backs. Uh, but then there's sometimes the teams just playing like, look, most times you get after the fish, your team's playing like crap. And, you know, but if there is an important call, like I, I was with Brian Curse the other day, I mean, you know, I, I think what I really worked on doing is the, those guys knew that I might get fired up, but I got backed out to zero real quickly. Like yeah. I could go from zero to 100. And then get back down to zero, and and you have to do that because your players are all looking at how you're going to get. Then you got to coach your team still. You got to get back in the present. So, wasn't perfect. This surely, surely, I wasn't perfect. (laughs) I've been spending a lot of time thinking about this, and yes, worrying about it. Uh, And our last two podcasts have dealt with the issue. Do you think, in your travels and having talked to a bunch of people, that? Wholesale changes are coming or even needed for the NCAA tournament. I say no. I hope they don't do anything, but I, I respect your opinion, and I wonder what you think about it. What I think is going to happen, uh, I think that we're going to have four or five conferences. Uh, I think the, everyone, the NCAA tournaments remain the same. I'm not sure we're going to have complete automatic qualifiers for everyone. I think you'll have a play-in for those automatic qualifier uh, spots. Uh, but I don't think it'll change drastically. Um, I just don't think we'll have as many. I think we'll stay at 68. I don't think we'll have as many that you'll, you, you know, like the first four. Uh, I, I think it's going to end up, you know, you have four teams from those power five conferences. I think that's what we have, or eight, whatever it is. I think th- those are all going to be one bid leagues that are going to play their way in. And I think you, I, I don't know. I don't know what the exact number is going to be. And I, I do think that we're going to have five leagues eventually, major conferences that are ha- have a, a way of doing business. And now the other schools, the other conferences, they can start to do that business if they like to. They have resources. If not, they you know, obviously still have a chance to compete. Uh, I think that you're going to. I, I think personally, you're going to see emerging of some football and non-football playing schools into a conference. And, you know, the non-playing football schools eventually will get a smaller cut of the television money, but they'll get a bigger cut than they're getting by themselves. Yeah. Uh, and you'll have two divisions and maybe a crossover game and more league games. And then you can play MTEs in a team from the other conference. I think that's a, that's a potential thing that can happen. Uh, but I do think the players are going to have contracts. Uh, and I think that the, what the NCAA is going to look like in the next four years is going to be very different than it looks like today. ESPN, Seth Greenberg. Thank you so much for the time. Always appreciate it. We'll catch up with you again down the road. Safe travels. Thanks, guys. Hey, Chris, uh, Blue Ribbon was terrific. Absolutely phenomenal. I appreciate it. I appreciate it, it, Coach. The Bible Bible is alive and well. (laughs) Thank you, buddy. All right, man. Stay well. 
Always great catching up with Seth Greenberg, and I always think those things are interesting with coaches and just the, the whole protocol of how they go about their business coaching games and as he was talking about the uh, just the day in the life of a head basketball coach and all the things that come across your desk. So uh, great stuff with Seth, and uh, he's he's been making the rounds and going all different places to watch practice and get ready for the season and see teams uh, firsthand. I was able to uh, check out Vanderbilt's practice the other day. I've been out to see uh, Coach Stackhouse's team a bit. And I also talked to some officials who were out there getting in their preseason work, too. Vanderbilt was having five-on-five scrimmage time, and, and there were some officials. They were four refs there, and they were basically rotating in and out. And, and I was just asking basically about some rule changes or alterations or whatever. And this is not a year with rule changes, but they did update how flopping is called. And this has been out there. A flop will now be a Class B technical foul. The opposing team will shoot one free throw. It was previously a warning, and then you got the, the technical foul. But They've changed that for this year. It's going straight to a, a Class B Tech. And uh, there can also be an offensive foul and a flop. You can have both on the same play. So be looking for that. They're wow. trying to get flopping out of basketball, which I think is a good thing. But it's been good to get out, watch a little practice, see what's going on, and uh, get ready for the season and kind of learn the new guys and uh, see you know the, the core players that are coming back from the previous year. And Vanderbilt will have quite the challenge uh, with Memphis coming in here to start off the season. So looking forward to that uh, coming up on November 7th. I hear that uh, Coach Stackhouse is quite the grill master. He is quite the grill master now. Vanderbilt played a home football game against Ole Miss this past weekend, and uh, every year, once during the football season, uh, Stack will get out and they'll have a big cookout with the the players and coaches and everybody out there. And and, and Coach Stackhouse, uh, he loves to cook, and he is fantastic on the grill. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> but uh, I, I went by. We did our pregame show from out close to where the the cookout was, and. Um, I was going to stop by there and grab maybe a burger on the way into the stadium. And the line was so long that I, I said, well, I'm just going to have to <laughs> say hello and, and be on my way. But, uh, yeah, there, there was a lot of demand for the, the product that Stack the was bringing off the grill. The voice of the doors came cut in line and well, get a burger? you know, Come I on. didn't want to be that guy, you know. <laughs> you, you don't want to be that guy. No, that's not your nature. I, I can tell you that. <laughs> All right, Chris, let's finish things up with our uh, spoiler-filled update on the new Star Wars series, Andor. Now, Reed and I have yeah. been, been watching that. It's What's Reed think? Um, Reed's having a little trouble f- sort of following and putting together who all the characters are. Now, Cassian Andor is, is the title character in this. And um, yes. we, we've seen up to last week's episode. I've not seen the one that came out yesterday as we Nor record this. But they're, they're putting together this ragtag squad to go try to uh, disrupt things for the Empire, which, you know, they're they're on their way to becoming what the Empire would become. But, uh, yeah, it's this, this group of people, and they don't necessarily trust uh, Andor, who's actually going under an assumed name, and he's being paid for this whole mission and all this. So I'm um, looking forward to seeing what the next episode holds in store for us. Me too. I, I thought it was funny, um, Andor... Uh had to take an assumed name. He chose Clem. <laughs> he was from the south of whatever planet he came from. No, I maybe guess. he was from Kentucky, though. Maybe he was from Bowling Green because, I mean, Clem is a big Clem name. Haskins. Clem Haskins. I yeah. mean, that is a hilltopper legend right there. Uh, no, there's no doubt about that, <laughs> for sure. Uh, but, uh, no, I, I've enjoyed the show. I really have. A lot of pundits opine that it's the best of the Star Wars uh, TV shows. I really like Mandalorian an awful lot, so I don't know if I'll go that far. But I'll tell you what, it, it's rich. It's It's got a big tapestry as it leads into the movie Rogue One. Mm-hmm. I'll say no more than that, but a, supposedly this latest episode, as an Easter egg, 
in it uh, involving Rogue One. So I look forward to seeing that. Diego Luna uh, crushes it as Andor. So, uh, you know, I could watch that dude uh, in just about anything. But he's he's pretty cool. I like the part where one of the rebels touched him. And he was like Francis in, in uh, Stripes. <laughs> Don't touch me. Don't touch my stuff or I'll kill you. <laughs> Lighten up, Francis. <laughs> That's right. Nobody looked at him and said, I want to party with you. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> my summertime binge watch has been Breaking Bad. And I've watched oh, the good for you. I've watched the yeah. entire series over the last couple months. And you're talking about like 70 episodes. Oh, it's daunting, but great. Yeah, it's a fantastic show. The characters are so good. And and what got me thinking about that, you mentioned Mandalorian and uh, obviously Giancarlo Esposito, who plays Moff Gideon in The Mandalorian, um, also plays Gus Fring, who's one of the main characters in Breaking Bad, but it's so well done. Yeah. Brian Cranston plays a is a super bad guy. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. And how, know, how about that final episode of Breaking Bad, dude? I, I thought they how really awesome. did a good job. That was a great episode. They stuck the landing they, on that. They, they did. And I thought, you know, I've, I've compared this series with Ozark a little bit and, and I felt like they stuck the landing on the final episode better than Ozark did uh, in their no last doubt. episode. Uh, but no you know, it's funny. I watched it a little bit out of sequence. I watched the first two seasons and then, made this football trip to Hawaii at the end of August. And on the plane, all they had was season fives. So is like, well, I'll just go ahead and watch season five. And then I'll come <laughs> back and ca- catch up on the rest of them. So you I watched get a lot of watching done until on a yes. flight to Hawaii. So I watched 15 <laughs> episodes going to Hawaii and back. And then I came back and I've watched uh, seasons three and four since then. So I've seen the entire series, but uh, it's so well done. And I can't believe I never watched it years ago when it was actually on. Because it was on between 2008 and 2013, and I'd never watched any of it in, until now. And now I'm ready. Oh. Now I'm all fired up about uh, going in and watching Better Call Saul, which I think is probably yeah. Be really you'll good you'll too. really appreciate that one too. It's it's a little slower paced, but definitely worth it. I was a little slow getting to the party of Breaking Bad. My son, the, the film historian, kept telling me, "Dad, it's as good as anything you'll see." Finally got into it, loved it. And I appreciated everything about the show, but, but the musical cues were perfect too, especially in that last episode. Uh, for anybody that hasn't seen it, I'm not going to mention the musical cue, but yeah. you know the one I'm talking about. It right. has to do with the color blue. There you go. Well, Chris, on that, we will uh, wrap it up and uh, we'll, we'll do it again next time. Always appreciate our guest, Seth Greenberg uh, from ESPN. And have a good one, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. We'll see you soon, buddy. Thanks. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. That is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We'll talk to you next time.